All right, do me a favor this morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, I hope you got a copy of that memo. Go ahead. <laughs> We're talking life and death here. If you don't have the right cover sheet on the right report, we got a problem. We got a problem. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning to all the people up here in the balcony. How are the, how's the balcony doing this morning? Oh, the crowd goes wild. Come on, you guys. You got more than that. Oh, wow. Not much more. Okay, good. Awesome. How about you down here? How are you guys doing? There we go. Good. Good. Well, my name is Pastor Andy, and uh, as John told you, I used to work at this campus. Now, as John told you, he fired me. Uh, no, that's not true. This building is not big enough for two kids from Story City to work on the same team. So we grew up together, uh, and uh, there were a lot of opportunities and things going on in seasons that uh, I felt God's call out to our West Des Moines campus. So my name is Andy. I'm a pastor uh, here at Lutheran Church of Hope, and any chance I get, I love to come down here and hang out with the fine folks at Hope Des Moines uh, and have an opportunity uh, to share God's love with all of you this morning. So it is my privilege to be here. Uh, thank you, and coming so I can have somebody to preach to this morning. I'm really excited. So uh, what, what I just showed you, if you haven't seen it, was a clip from the movie Office Space. Just curious, how many of us have seen Office Space? Most, a lot of us at least. Here's what I didn't realize this week. That clip is almost 20 years old, okay, 1999. That's the year I graduated high school, if that tells you anything. Time flies when you're having fun, but it's a, it's a movie, and it's about really pointing out a lot of the, the funny and also the painful parts of having a job and working in corporate America, especially in corporate America. Uh, and, and what you just saw there was a guy named Peter who's sitting in his cubicle just trying to get his stuff done, right? And he's got radios and he's got eight different bosses coming around saying, where is the cover sheet for your TPS report? Didn't you get the memo? Uh, and Peter is played by actor Ron Livingston, little known fact, who is from Iowa, also even lesser known fact, whose mom is a Lutheran pastor, even lesser known fact, who was a mentor of mine as I was becoming a pastor in the Lutheran church. So there you go. I feel personally connected to this movie. And not just because it radiates the pain I felt when John was my boss, although it was similar. I just go, he knows I love him. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but it is, if you have ever had a job where you had a questionable boss, where you just had, I love the word interesting, right? Because that can mean, I mean, somebody, you say, how was, how was the food I just cooked you? And they say, interesting. You know, you, there could be a whole lot of things that could be packed into that, right? If you ever had an interesting boss, if you just ever thought, man, I cannot wait until the weekend, right? Been cut up in the red tape or whatever, then this movie will be for you. Uh, I want you to know it's not safe for the entire family. Just a few F-bombs in there and those sorts of things. So, but... I thought it was worth showing to you anyway this morning because I can't think of a better illustration of what we're going to get into this morning. And what we're doing actually this morning is we're continuing the next uh, chapter of the story we're telling through the sermon series called Hope for Iowa. Everybody say hope. Hope. Hope, hope is uh, not just the name of a church, but it also happens to be the byproduct, I would argue, of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. All right, hope is a powerful thing. Hope has the power to change any situation, to rewrite our stories, uh, to make miracles happen. Hope is an incredibly powerful thing. And so that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks is this idea, right, that hope has the power to change situations we live in. And we've been talking about hope for our schools a couple weeks ago. We're talking about hope for our cities. And today we're going to talk about hope uh, in our workplaces. Here's the thing I want you to think about more than anything else this morning. You will spend one-fifth of your life working. 
okay? Now, maybe not always working for a paycheck. Uh, many of us are in different circumstances, scenarios, and I get that this morning. Uh, but we're going to talk about hope for our workplaces, hope for the work that we do. And I got to believe if we're going to spend one-fifth of our lives doing stuff, right, for organizations or people or ministries or whatever it is, right, that I got to believe that God has a purpose and a plan for that. I got to believe that he cares about that. I got to believe that he has a vision for that. And so part of what we want to do today is connect the dots and help us understand what is it that the hope that God has for our workplaces. I don't know if you've noticed or not, right, but oftentimes when it comes to our work or the work that the people around us are doing, right, we live in a world that is hungry for hope. Amen? Amen. A world that people are asking questions. They're looking for a bigger story. They're, they're trying to find the answers to be able to move through life. And here's why people in the workplace need hope as much as anybody else. Because for many of us at different seasons of our lives, hope can be a four-letter word, right? Hope can be a four-letter word. You see what I did there? You can insert whatever four-letter word you have in your head, right? But it's also spelled W-R-K, four letters. Just so, let me just, it's not a good joke if you have to explain it, is it? Okay, <laughs> right? But we've had these experiences in our lives where we've done work and work has felt like a four-letter word. It's felt like something that did create pain in us, that it was a, a challenge. Now, there's a tension that comes with work and work can also, it can bring us incredible joy and satisfaction. I'm gonna make the point here in a little bit that God has created work and it is good and it is a gift that he wants to give us, but it also can be a huge source of pain. And sometimes that's emotional and social pain or whatever. Other times it's just physical pain. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you how Pastor Andy learned that work can be a four-letter word. I was probably about nine or 10 years old. I grew up on a farm uh, just an hour north of here up in Story City. And my dad got me out of bed one morning about 7 a.m. He said, Andy, I got a job for you. Go eat some breakfast and jump in my truck and I'll show you what we're going to do. And this is what my dad did to me. I had to have been in fourth or fifth grade. He drives me about three miles out of town out to a cornfield, and he gives me about four different things. He gives me a shovel. He gives me a key to a tractor. He gives me a sack lunch, and he gives me a ginormous water jug. And I'm not kidding you guys. As he drives away, he says, hey, that 360-acre field that you're standing in the middle of, if you could get every single rock out of this field and put it in a pile over here by the driveway by the end of the day, that would be great. And his voice was decrescendoing because he was driving away as he was telling me this. And so I'm sitting out here and I'm in the middle of the countryside and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be hard, right? This is going to be work. This is going to be a challenge. In all of us in one way or another, I'm guessing that we have had a moment in our lives where work felt like a four-letter word, where it felt like it was going to be a source of pain or of challenge. And there is a, a tension in work. I mean, uh, oh, I've seen so many uh, people, even people in this room, as I've gotten to walk with you and gotten to know you, right? Are, there, there, there are the challenging parts and then there are the highlights. And it feels like we're on this roller coaster sometimes where we're, we're challenged by our jobs. Maybe we don't love the job that we're in. Maybe we would just love to have a job in the season that we're in. And, and yet then God might move us to this new opportunity and, and we know that there's more out there and we're looking for it. And maybe... Maybe we're just in these jobs and we just feel like we're coasting these days. Maybe we love everything that we're doing. Either way, either way we can experience these moments where it feels like a four-letter word and it feels like it's challenging. And Solomon, uh, the guy who wrote the Bible reading that you just heard a little bit ago, he knew all about this. Solomon knew that, uh, that work can feel like a four-letter word. In fact, he might get my award for the most sarcastic uh, depressing author in all of scripture because as he's writing about, about work, he literally titles one chapter of Ecclesiastes, The Futility of Work, all right? 
If you ask me to describe who Solomon is, now he's this king, he's the son of David, he was a king, he had access to everything the world had to offer, right? He had everything. If he were alive today, he'd probably have a private helicopter and, you know, tall buildings and all that kind of stuff. He had everything that he wanted, yet he writes this whole section in the Bible called the futility of work. And this is what he says, right? So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? He says, their days of labor are filled with pain and grief, even at night, their minds cannot rest. You ever lost sleep because of your job, right? Solomon gets that. And then he goes on to say these four words. He says, it is all meaningless, right? Just pumping up the crowd with this. No, he's like the Eeyore of the Bible, right? You ever watch Winnie the Pooh? I mean, listen to this. Tell me if this sounds like something Eeyore would say. This is a little bit right before the verses, right before we just heard were read for us today. People leave this world no better off than they came. All their hard work is for nothing. It's like working for the wind, verse 17. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Wah, wah. (laughs) The wah, wah isn't in the Bible, just in case you're wondering. That's my interpretation. Right? But this guy is not going to win any motivational speaker awards, is he? Right? And I think it's because he's lived this reality where he's given the time and the energy, he's built the empire, and he's seen it all vanish. He realizes this reality that you can't take it with you. And so he's got kind of a bad attitude, and yet he begins, he even embraces this tension that we face in the work that we do. The very next verse, though, he says, even so, which is kind of a conjunctive phrase. It's, it's the turning of a page. It's, it's looking a different direction. He says, even so, I have noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat and to drink and to enjoy their work. And so he's talking about how challenging and how futile it can be to labor for something. But he's also saying it's one of the gifts that God has given us. And so we look around today and we ask, okay, so what are people doing with this these days? And, and I would argue that when it comes to us, especially as Americans and our relationship that we have with work, there's some room to grow. There's, there's some room for some more hope to be brought into it. In fact, one survey I looked at this week talked about the idea that only 30% of us, maybe only 30% of us would be relatively even passionate about our job, right? The term is workplace engagement, meaning it's not just a paycheck, but it's something we show up and we put some effort into. We have some passion. We're willing to invest some blood, sweat, and tears into our work. Only 30% of Americans would be classified as that engaged in their work. Another survey talked about, uh, about the opposite of that or so, 60-70% would really just look at their, the four-letter word they would use to describe their work would be J-U-S-T. It's just a job. It's just something that I do in order to get a paycheck so I can feed my family. And as Christians, we're wrestling uh, perhaps even more uh, with more complexity in this. I looked at another survey this week, and I've got 10 different challenges that Christians tend to find themselves facing in the workplace. So as I run through these really quick, just kind of note the ones that are challenging to you when it comes to your relationship with work and, and what it is that you're, you're stressed out by or challenged here when you look at your work and your work-life balance, right? So number one, I'm unable to manage my time without being distracted. Hello, right? All of us probably battle that one. Uh, Number two is really important though. I do not connect eternal significance to my actual work. They surveyed about 2,500 people for this survey and an overwhelming majority said, "I, 
I don't connect any eternal significance to what I do. I'm a toilet paper salesman, right? By the way, if you're a toilet paper salesman, I just picked that at random. I'm not knocking your job, okay? It's, it can be a holy calling as well. In fact, what we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that everything is holy, and God uh, has called us uh, for everything we do to serve Him, right? But some of us also battle some of these other things. I'm incapable of resolving conflict. That can definitely make work be a source of pain. I do not manage stress and discouragement by practicing the principle of rest and recreation, a common work challenge uh, for all of us. I'm not prepared to present the gospel, right? That's unique to Christians. I don't think other people show up thinking, oh, I gotta, I gotta tell these people about Jesus. How do I do that, right? The next one, I'm not managing my resources in a way that reflects God's values. There's a challenge there. I'm not sure my God-given passions, talents, and temperaments. And I wanna note that last one there, temperament, right? We think, oh, I'm wired this certain way and this is bad, right? But I want you to know, yes, you may be a product of your past and you certainly do not have to be a prisoner to it. But God has also given you a personality and certain gifts and abilities to be able to do something really well. And so sometimes, that's even part of my story where I didn't appreciate certain parts of my personality and God showed me over time, no, 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 here's why I gave it to you and here are the people you're going to use these gifts for to change their lives, right? So God's got a plan for all this stuff. And the last one, I do not seek God as I make work decisions. There's a couple more on here. I'm not narrowing my focus each day. This is probably my biggest one. I'm a, I love saying yes to new things, right? And why is it important to narrow our focus? So that work doesn't take over our lives. I do not see my work as a calling, as something that's really serving society or God. And so there's a lot that you can glean from all of this research that's been done on Americans and their relationship with work. But I would argue what it really points to uh, is the fact that we are looking through the wrong, the wrong lens when we look at our work. We're not looking with the right perspective. We've got to do some work understanding the work that God has called us to and really figuring out what that looks like. Uh, and, and I've had several different moments in, our, in my life where I've realized the idea that having the right lens to look through, especially at our work, but really almost anything in life is incredibly important. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, I began to realize as I was driving one day, oh, the trees, they look, they look kind of weird. They're starting to look a little fuzzy today. And I thought, nah, I did what any teenage boy does. I'm like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure my eyes will be fine. They won't get any worse. And so I kind of put it off. And eventually I was in a math class and I went from an A to a D overnight because I moved from the front row of the class to the back row of the class because I'm a math nerd and I got 101% in my geometry class. Thank you very much. I can tell <laughs> you all are impressed. And my teacher's like, what's wrong? And I was like, don't call me four eyes, okay? I, I don't want to get glasses. And he's like, well, hey, I got an idea. How about we get you some glasses? And it turns out it turned everything around. I put on glasses after I finally uh, got over the shame and the embarrassment that I was carrying and I let go of those things. And I put on glasses. It was like a whole new world opened up to us. And, and I think this is what's happened with work is that so many of us, we've, we've taken God's way of looking at work, the lens that he wants us to look through in the Bible, and he, we just put it over there. And so when we look at our work, we, we've just given the default, what we inherited as we grew up with, right? And we've looked at that uh, with, through the way that the world looks at it, that it is just a job, that it is just a way to get a paycheck, or it's something that's so important that it begins to tell us who we are and overtakes our life. And so what I think God wants to do with us this morning is to give us a little look at the scriptures and to allow us to put on these glasses so y'all don't look like a blurry blob, right? You look good, by the way. Oh, you look really good. And I put my glasses on, right? 
Because I think this is way too important. If we're going to spend a fifth of our lives investing in something, then I'm pretty sure God has a plan and a purpose for it, and He wants us to dig into it. So all of this, all of this centers around the question, and I'm curious this morning what your answer would be. Let's jump to the next slide. What does our faith have to do with our work? If I gave you a cup of coffee in 20 minutes to tell me why, how your faith impacts your work, what would you say? What would you say? Would, would it be things you don't do at work or would it prompt you to talk about things you do at work? You do do at work, right? It's an important question and it's an important one to answer because when it comes to our work and our relationship with it, there are ditches that we can fall into. And those 10 challenges I put up there, I think they kind of both fall into two different categories. Now, you might be saying, ditch, I didn't realize we're on the road, but you are on the road, right? The clock is ticking as you're living your story and God's giving you invitations and opportunities to live this incredible story for Him. And so the question is, can you stay out of the ditch? Just ask anybody who rode with me before I had glasses. That's really important <laughs> that you have the right lenses on and you stay out of the ditch. And the first ditch is this. If you and I aren't careful, we can become the kind of people who worship our work, who we allow it to, to affect our mood, our, our sense of identity, our passion, our, our attitude, and it comes all these things. It can begin to affect our schedule. And certainly I'm not naive. There's work that needs to be done, right? There's a reason why you got hired. Organizations depend on that. But there also can become this point where work begins to affect not just our schedule, but our heart. It begins to seep over into the other relationships we have. And if you've ever battled this, then you have wrestled with this idea of, am I worshiping my work? As human beings, we've been designed to worship something. And oftentimes that's God, right? But sometimes that gets disconnected and we end up in a different kind of relationship. The other ditch that we can fall into though, and I think this one is more common these days. I don't know. They're both common. It's this idea that we may not worship our work. You might say, no, 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 I, I'm pretty chill at my job. And here's the other ditch that you could fall into. There's a chance that you could spend a fifth of your life and you could waste your work. You could miss the calling that God has on your life. If you're just settling for what you're doing, right? And it's like, oh, it's okay, versus something you feel like uh, God has given you a moment where you say, okay, this, this is what I'm good at. This is what I was born to do. Then perhaps there's another invitation there. So either we worship work or the tendency is we might become the kind of people who could waste our work. But God has a plan right down the middle. I believe as we put on the glasses, we begin to look at to see the connection between our faith that we have and the work that we do. There's got to be a bridge that God wants to build and to bring them together and so here's what we do. We go back to the story because the story, God's story has the power to tell us who we are. And so today, I want to jump into Genesis chapter 2. It's at the very beginning. So if you've got a Bible, grab it. Open it up. I'd love to have you uh, look at Genesis chapter 2 because when you go back to the very beginning of the story, what you find is the foundation. You find uh, the way things were even before sin entered the world. Who, who were we when God created us, when things were great, when it was... Uh, for us now, unimaginably peaceful and calm, and we were fully connected to God, the life was full of vibrance and, and beauty. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis 2, because uh, it has something to say to us about our relationship with work. Genesis 1, God creates the world, the earth, the seas, the stars, the sky, and he says, it's good. It's good. Everybody say good. He says, it's good, and he creates humanity, and he says, it is very good. Do me a favor this morning, turn to the person next to you in the balcony or down here, whatever, and say, you're very good. And turn him again and say, I'm not just saying that, God says, you're very good. 
And if you shake your finger, that's okay. This is the one time I'll let you do that, right? So this is what happens. He creates humanity. He says it's very good in chapter one, but then he turns around in chapter two and he tells the same story again, but with more detail because it is an amazing story. And it has a lot to tell us about who we are and where we're going. Uh, verse 15, Genesis 2, 15, this is what it says. After he's created Adam and Eve, it says, the Lord God placed the man, Adam, in the garden of Eden to do a couple things. Number one, to tend and to watch over. And then it, it says later on that it goes, he's going to create uh, Eve as well because Adam can't get the job done on his own. He needs a helper. Just as God has designed Adam to be a helper for creation, Eve is also a helper. They're partners in crime when it comes to this job that God has given them. God creates this garden. It's the most amazing creation, right, that, that humans have ever experienced, probably because it's the first creation they've ever experienced. But they, they had everything that they needed in this garden. But even as we begin to look at this then, God gives them an assignment. He doesn't wait a week to do this. He doesn't wait till later. Their first full day of creation, right? They're created on day six. Day seven, they get a, a break. And so they launch, though, on day two into their work of doing these things that God has created them to tend and watch over the garden. And so I got to believe as I look at this and, and as we watch the scriptures unfold, as we watch God's story unfold, and we even look at it for you and I here today, that you and I can learn a lot about this because it tells us at the very beginning, number one is this that you and I have been given a job to do, right? You and I have a job to do, and it doesn't really matter whether we get paid for it or not. It's in the very DNA of who we are. And if you've ever gone without work, you, you've probably felt this, that there were challenges with that, that there's even, uh, it's not just in, I, I, I need more money, but there's a feeling that comes with it. There's a disappointment. There's a, there's a challenge that comes with these kind of challenges, and so as we begin to experience this, we've been given this challenge, this, this invitation to tend and watch over creation. And other translations will talk about being stewards of what God has put around us, about bringing out the best in it. And here's the way that I would choose to look at that, that when you think about the garden, right? We're not sitting in a garden here today, but we are sitting in the midst of God's creation. God's creation isn't just water and land and plants and animals, right? It's also human beings. And so part of the work that God has created us to do, I think, is to cultivate, is to tend, to watch over not just the stuff around us, but the people around us as well. And I think all of us spend our time doing this in one way or another, whether it's spending most time on ourselves or other people, whether we're getting paid for it or not, everybody has a job to do in the kingdom. In fact, God has designed the creation around us to require this, which points to number two, work is important. Work is important. God designed it from the very beginning that we would need work. His garden has been designed in such a way that it requires somebody or someone to come along and to take care of it. And if you've ever been in my backyard in the last couple months, you know this, right? Because I, I, have, I refuse to water my grass. I refuse to spend money on this. And so I've got weeds in my backyard the size of Cleveland because I, why am I going to mow if the grass is not growing, right? I refuse to just go mow the weeds. It's a mess. Just ask my wife. She's got some serious thoughts on this topic. <laughs> and the reality is, right, if we let things go, sure, creation will survive. But if we want to see it become what God has destined it to be, then there is a need for us responsibly, I would add, to tend and to watch over it. Work has been a part of it, which points to number three, work is good. 
I talked about the tension a little bit ago, the tension we feel, and sometimes there are pain points with our work. And the reality is that's part of the story, but that's not the entire story. If work wasn't part of what was, we were designed to do, then I'm pretty sure God would have never given it to us to begin with. The reason why work is so hard for us these days sometimes is because in Genesis chapter 3, as the fall takes place, as sin enters the world, we find that there's a curse that God puts on work. He says it's going gonna, it's gonna to be harder to produce the food that you need. It's going to be harder to achieve the things that I have asked you to do, but work is still good. And it's this curse that creates the tension, which then brings it back to this tension in point number four. Work is good, but it is not God. Work is good, but it is not God. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, we figure out that God creates work. Work does not create us. God creates work. And so as we think about these ditches that we can come into, right, there's a connection between the ways that we understand work and the ditches that we can go into. If, if we believe that work is something that can bring us life, if, if work gives us life rather than God giving us life, then we may just let work take over our life. We may become the kind of people who worship work. But on the other hand, if we believe that work is bad, if it's just a consequence we've been given, something to be tolerated and withstood, well then, yeah, it's just going to feel like just a job, right? It's going to be something that's inconveniencing us. And so as we look at this, it begins to change the way we think. It begins to point us in a new direction. It gives us new lenses to look at the work that we do through, right? Because what most people don't understand is that they're living a story, What most people don't understand is that God is telling a story, but what few people understand in this life, I think, is that our story and God's story, God wants to bring those together, and God wants to use you and I and every one of us to help write and to tell His story. And this is what happens when the work of all work takes place, right? When Jesus is on the cross and when He's raised from the tomb, when when His finished work happens on the cross it changes what it looks like for us. In fact, this, this story and this, this happening of Jesus on the cross through his death and his resurrection, it invites us to a new gospel reality. And here's why we're here today, right? You put all this other stuff that I've set aside, here's why we're here today, because we believe that Jesus is good news, amen? amen. Jesus is good news. I mean, we gotta believe that this fact that we can't find his body, that the grave is empty, that he lived a sinless life, that he died and yet was raised again three days later, this makes a tangible difference in our life. And so when the resurrection happens, Jesus shows up and talks to his disciples and he gives them a new kind of work to do. This is the work that he's inviting you and I into as well. John chapter 20, Jesus comes to his disciples who are hiding behind locked doors, by the way. You ever wrestle with doubt or just feel like, I don't have this faith thing figured out, right? Just go back to the disciples for a minute. They had three years with Jesus to spend time with him, and they still were terrified. Even when he did what he said he was going to do, the disciples, after, after Jesus is, is died and he hasn't risen from the grave yet, they go and they don't go back to their work. They go and they hide because they're terrified, right? None of us have had face-to-face flesh time with Jesus, right? And so if they can't figure it out, if they have doubts, then certainly we're going to have that as well. And so in John chapter 20, these disciples, they're hiding in this room, they've locked the doors, and they're just trying to figure out what's next. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment that Jesus comes to them, 
And he says, peace be with you, because he's about to give them a new job. And the job that he's going to give them is going to be a little bit overwhelming. So he's just, he's just clearing the path for them ahead of time. He says, peace be with you. And then he says this. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me to come and to tend this garden, to watch over it, to work, to, to help put it back together the way that it is. Now I, now I am going to send you. And then because he knows this is overwhelming, because he knows this is above our pay grade, right? He also promises the Holy Spirit and he says, get out there, go and trust the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about what you're going to say and go and spread my love and my gospel to the world around us. And I got to believe as Peter is sitting in this room, he never forgot that moment because uh, he can't stop talking about it. A little bit later on in his letter that he wrote in the Bible, in, in the first one, 1 Peter, uh, he says this. Let's put 1 Peter 3 up here. Let's read these words on the screen together today. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love this verse, and I, I know that it's stuck, that moment is stuck with Peter because he says, we haven't just been born again into a hope, right, into a life of attending church, uh, into a, a job where I just have to survive until I make it and I can live for the weekend and have an incredible life. No, he says that we've been born into a hope, that we've been born into the possibility that the, the best is yet to come, that there's a story for us, that because Jesus lives to this day, we cannot find his body because he is alive and well and on the move in this planet, that we have work to do, that God has created something and he's given us a passion for us to look at this. And so I gotta believe it's not just a stagnant hope that he's given us, but it's the kind of hope that's gonna stand the test of time. It is a living hope. It's not something that's to be hidden, but it's something that wells up within us. It's something that changes everything. He goes on to talk about that through the entire rest of his letter. But what he's reminding us of is this gospel reality, right? That we have been given this new job from Jesus, this gospel reality. And what happens in this moment is Jesus dies on the cross as he's risen again and his disciples head out in the world to start doing this. We figure out that work becomes worship, as God loves us and we get the opportunity to love him back, we go and do this work of tending the garden that he's put in front of us. This becomes our act of worship. And when work becomes worship, worship, work is worship, that gives us the opportunity to work as worship. We have the opportunity to work as our act of worship. So begin to think about it like this. This is the way that uh, P, uh, Paul talks about it in Colossians. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Think about tomorrow morning and the first person you're going to say hi to. Actually, think about this. Tomorrow morning when you go to work, who's the most annoying person that you're going to see, right? If they're here today, don't point that out to them, okay? <laughs> what would it look like if that person were Jesus instead of that person? How would you change Right? If Jesus were your boss, how would that change? Because the reality is that Jesus is your boss. This is your calling to, to do this work for him, to tend over it. And you might be sitting here saying, yeah, but there's, I, just don't know, I just don't know if there's more for me. I don't know what this looks like. I would leave you with Ephesians 2.10. If you're wondering what this looks like, what it means to have your work become your act of worship, Ephesians 2.10 points out the reason why why God has gone to all this trouble to rescue us and to set us free. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. masterpiece. 
We're God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things. And that, that Greek word there for things isn't actually things, it's work. But the translators broadened it a little bit, right? So we can do the good work that God has planned for us long ago. You have been designed, whether you realize it or not, to do something for God in this world. And you have everything that you need through the power of the Holy Spirit to make it so. You might be sitting here today, you might be saying, Andy, you don't even know the people that I work with, right? You don't know what I have to do. I would just point back to, again, to what Paul says as he's writing to slaves, right? You think your job is tough? Imagine being a slave, even as he's writing to slave. And he's not condoning slavery in this passage, but he's giving, he's giving these slaves a reminder of the hope that they have. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Whatever the challenge is that you're going to face, stand firm, he says. Be strong and immovable. And this is why he can say that. This is why when Paul is in the jail and there's an earthquake in the book of Acts and he can escape, he chooses to come back and not to because he realizes in this prison he can do better work for God than if he's walking around a free man. He says, for you know that nothing that you can do, you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So you might think this week as you go through your work that being nice to someone, about asking somebody a question, about choosing to do a little bit extra to help somebody out might just be something God's going to ignore. But it says right here, Paul believes it, nothing that you do for the Lord working with him as your boss is ever useless. So what does this look like for you and I to go out to be the church? We have an acronym that we use around here. It's called the BLESS acronym, and it's by far the easiest thing. I, I have worked, and my, my five-year-old has done this with me uh, in our neighborhood. What does it look like to be the kind of people who begin with prayer, who put the lenses on first and say, God, how do you feel about me? How can I, how can I feel the same way about the other people, right? The first one is all about getting perspective. The other four there are all about uh, expressing the love that God has for us. We have no idea, right? the power that listening to someone, spending time sharing meals with them, serving them, and even telling the stories about what God has done for us, what, what kind of hope that can bring. If you want to bring hope to your workplace, wherever it is you find yourself, I'm convinced there's probably not a better way to do it than this. You don't need a seminary degree or to have the Bible memorized to be able to do this. You need to understand that God loves you and be open to wherever it is that He wants to send you. You might be asking yourself more about what does this look like, but God is sending us out to tend his garden the same way that he did with Adam and Eve. And so you might be wondering, what does this look like? How do I figure this out? And I want to take just a moment here to invite you on October 26th at our West Des Moines campus, uh, because we've had so many people asking these questions. I get the what and the why, uh, what it means to, to bring my faith and work together, but, but how do I do this? So we're going to spend most of a day, it's a Friday, uh, and we're going to quit at 3.30, so you don't have to go back to work afterwards. You can tell them you're busy or whatever. Uh, and we're going to spend time working on this. We've got a bunch of speakers coming in, and we're really going to actually do some activities, some training, and some workshopping around this idea, how do I connect my faith and my work? But more importantly than that, even than coming to that workshop, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this week, and I want you to specifically think, what's one thing that I can do this week? to connect to my faith in my workplace? How is it that I can bless somebody? 
Because we live in a world that needs hope, that is hungry for hope. And we might be tempted, right? We face this temptation all the time to worship our work or to waste our work. But the reality is that God has something better for us. And so as you begin to think about that and what does Monday morning look like for you when it's connected to the faith that you have, I want you to process that and figure out what it is you're going to do this week as you watch this final clip. Let's take a look. So Jesus invites all of us to work as our act of worship, to not just see it as something that we do to earn a paycheck, not something that's going to bring us the ultimate joy and the ultimate satisfaction, but really something that God has given us as an opportunity to be blessed, but also to be a blessing. That's why Jesus sent out his disciples was not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. And so as that blessing today, I want to invite you to stand. Why don't you stand with me now, please? The reality is that you've been called. We might as well have an ordination service for all of you guys as well because you are the light of the world. You have been called and you are being sent just as Jesus was sent to go and be the church wherever, you, wherever you'll find yourself. There's challenges with this. This is why I got to believe that Jesus wanted his disciples to be prepared. He wanted to give them access to his love and to his life. And so it's for that reason I got to believe that on the night in which he's betrayed, our Lord Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. It's been given for you. Take and eat. Whenever you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it and gave thanks for it. He gave it to his disciples to drink. He said, this cup is a new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins for you and for all people. Whenever you drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Jesus also wanted to resource his disciples with prayer. And so let's pray the prayer together that he taught his disciples.